importance of spiritual wellness, the importance of uh, happiness, the importance of um, reducing stress, the importance of having a spiritual base or and even friendship. We have all of these things that affects us in a very physical way. And so today we are talking about the science behind mindfulness. And I am so happy that I was able to get the guest that we have today. So um, I would like to welcome Dr. Romy Mushtaq to the show. Welcome, Dr. Romy. Can you hear me there? I can. Good morning, Mubarka. Can you hear me? And greetings to you and all of your listeners. Oh, thank you. Yes, I can hear you well. So let me tell you guys a little bit about the guest that we have on our show today. So Dr. Romy Mushtaq is a traditionally trained neurologist with an additional board certification in integrative medicine. She completed her medical training at the Medical University of South Carolina, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and the University of Michigan. After suffering from a career burnout and undergoing life-saving surgery, she traveled around the world learning mindfulness-based techniques. She now helps individuals achieve brain and mental health holistically at the Center for Natural and Integrative Medicine in Orlando, Florida. Dr. Romy combines her unique expertise in neuroscience and mindfulness as a highly sought after speaker to teach stress management and mindful leadership to Fortune 500 companies, university group and groups around the country. Dr. Romy's expertise has been featured on TED Talks, which is where I first was introduced to Dr. Romy. I found her TED Talks because I'm like obsessed with TED Talks. I watched them like probably all the time, <laughs> uh, as well as Fox News, NBC, NPR, The Huffington Post, and, a, and dozens of other national media outlets. She's currently writing her first book on bringing Western medicine and Eastern wisdom together for a busy brain cure. Welcome, Dr. Romy, and thank you for joining me. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for that long and absolutely formal and beautiful introduction. <laughs> but thank you for having me. And you are going to crack up when you find out. Just guess where I am calling you in from today. Where are you calling me from? I know you said I, that you're, I, you're, from, you're, you're traveling. So you was on a plane, I right? And I literally got off the plane like seven minutes ago and ducked into the sky cloud here. And the ambassadors at the front must think I'm insane. I'm like, I need a quiet corner. I've got a really important call. I have been waiting to take this call. And <laughs> so I got myself some hot tea and I'm in the corner and I'm all like animated, and all excited to be talking to you over here. And I think all the other passengers in the sky club are looking at me like, why is she so happy early in the morning? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, Dr. Remy, so I first, uh, um, I, my first time coming across you was during your TED Talk, and I find it, and I found it so incredibly both fascinating and inspiring. Mm. Um, so, you are a traditionally trained neurologist. So, you mm. started off in medicine. Uh, was mindfulness ever on your radar before you had your? Uh, your your their moment where you had burnout and and the medical issue that you that you faced. You know, I, I I'll tell you, Mubarka. I think the universe always gives us hints, whether we choose to listen to them or not. I am stubborn, and so of course I was raised around watching elders in our community meditate, find peace within. But, you know, I had one success mantra growing up as a child. I mean, did not every, you know, child of immigrants hear this? We have one daughter and you will become a doctor. 
right? <laughs> and so, you, you know, I kind of always thought like studying math and science and growing up to become a doctor was just separate from all of that. And so I would ignore it. And I remember even some of my mother's friends, the aunties, as we call them in our community, noticing that when I, you know, first joined faculty and was working and researching and seeing patients and running 100 miles an hour, working 80 to 90 hours a week, you know, up all night taking care of sick patients. They were like, you need to do something about the stress. Maybe try meditating. And I'm insane. And it wasn't until I got sick and was forced to slow down and almost just, you know, I, I don't want to call it an accident, but it was forced to come back to a yoga and a meditation practice that I started to learn its healing powers for myself personally. Mm. And, and, you know, you, you said this so beautifully in your opening. It's, this isn't about um, letting go of the lifelong respect and love I have for science, um, or, nor is it, you know, saying you pick one camp or the other, but it's about bringing both of these worlds together. And I, I don't know about you, but I guess sometimes some of us need that aha moment when we're running through life and not listening. Absolutely. I know every so often you just have to sit back and just say, okay, what am I doing, right? And wh- where is this constant running going to get me? And um, how do you take time for yourself? My my saying is we are in a point in, uh, particularly in the Western world, where we have to learn how to be a human being instead of a human doing. Like we, mm-hmm. it, it really- That's very powerful. It really, it, it really is a learning process for, for many of us. Um, so tell me a little, so tell us a little about kind of uh, that moment where you, that, that exact moment where you said, look, I need to stop and recalibrate. Uh, you know, it, I was lying in pre-op holding. So, you know, fast forward, I'm, I'm working really busy as a doctor, acquiring all sorts of titles and research grants and fabulous pairs of high heel shoes. And honestly, I wasn't happy. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm doing everything I set out I would do. But something just isn't quite right here. And I started to have chest pain. And I got very sick. And it took several years to diagnose. And I have a rare medical disorder and uh, known as achalasia. And by the time it got diagnosed, I needed urgent surgery. Mm-hmm. And when I was laying in pre-op, I remember just feeling sick to my stomach and awful. And my parents, you know, were, were uh, sitting at the foot of my bed praying, and we thought, oh, maybe it's because I've been, uh, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about surgery. There's a possibility it could be cancer, and it was none of that. It was at that moment I realized, like, everything I've worked for in my life, it doesn't matter. Like, what have I done mm. uh, to myself? What, how have I gotten myself here? And that was that moment. And I think there was this place within me. I knew if I got out of surgery on the other side, okay, without it being cancer at such a young age, that I would need to change the way I was going to live. And it wasn't like this, boom, aha, lightning comes through the, you know, ceiling of the hospital corridor and hits you upside the head. And you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm on the straight path and let's go. I had no idea, right? It Mm -hmm. it just, it took time. And I went home and had to take a break from working to heal in my parents' home after surgery. And thank God it wasn't cancer. And it was that's when I started to slowly reconnect back to these practices of yoga and meditation. And I realized like, gosh, this is helping my post-operative chest pain and I don't need pain medicines. And that Mm. brain fog I was in and that depressed feeling of like I've lost my life purpose, it started to lift. And Mm. I have to be honest, like as a scientist, I was like, am I crazy? (laughs) And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to follow this and and let's go to where people practice meditation and started practice, you know, 
traveling to work with uh, breath teachers, meditation teachers, yoga teachers all through Eastern Asia and South America and here in the United States just for my own learning. And the minute I saw that there's something here and I'm really healing, I, as a doctor, how could I not think I need to bring this back to my own patients? Mm. And that was the start of a journey, I would say, back you know, in, in two, between 2010 and 2012 while I was healing, had I known then that this is what I would be doing now, I, I would have never believed it. But, you know, you, you take that first step, and it's, as uh, they say in um, Paula Coelho's The Alchemist, one of my favorite books, you know, when you reach your personal legend, the entire universe conspires to be with you, and that's exactly what's happened, and realize that, like, I want to be one of the individuals that's helping to reshape how we think about brain and mental health in this country now. When you were doing your traveling throughout and, and meeting, did you take time off from work to do that? Because I think that sometimes people think, okay, do I have to kind of like take, you know, two years to become a nomad in order to find myself, right? Oh, no, <laughs> so, no. Right? Yeah, so, I was still working and I would just go on little vacations. And, you know, I remember in 2013 when I uh, told the CEO of my hospital in Arizona that I wasn't renewing my contract or coming back, much to his shock and my parents just shocked. They were like, you just need to go back to Bali and go back on an Ayurveda yoga retreat. Go for a couple months. Come back. You'll be fine. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not coming back this time. I mean, that was the time I knew I would start studying integrative medicine and, you know, mm-hmm. study for that fellowship and all of that. But no, it, this isn't this luxury of, of a, a Elizabeth Gilbert's famous eat, pray, love, where you have to give up living. Most people have families and jobs. It's just when you sit and you are present with yourself, the answers will start coming. And from all of that, I learned you don't even need to travel halfway across the world. I mean, I'm very blessed that I have that opportunity to work with some of the greatest Ayurveda and Reiki and meditation and breathwork teachers in the world mm-hmm. to learn what I did now. But it wasn't just for me, I realized, because it, to me, there is, for me, there is this responsibility now of giving back mm-hmm. to a larger community here in the West. And that was, you know, my path and journey. So as you began to learn more about different modalities of, of healing, how did you resolve them within the science that you already know? Like, did it, did it change the way you understand the science or did the science change the way you understood the alternative medicine and healing practices? I think a little bit of both. That's a very profound question. What it is really, Mubarak, is I came back and I was like, am I hallucinating that this yoga meditation thing is working? And I started to look into the medical literature and there's decades of scientific literature out there that really at that point was not taught in our medical training. You know, in the United States, we have one of the most outstanding acute sick care programs, if you're emergently sick, urgently sick, and you have health insurance and you have the means, you will be well taken care of. Mm-hmm. But this other paradigm shift of how do we convert chronic disease or help people get well did not exist. And that was this pathway of integrative medicine, which is now a board certification for doctors, meaning, Mubarak, mm-hmm. there is science you read and you get tested on it. Mm-hmm. And it shifted the way I look at patients. So the example to your listeners is now when someone comes and they are saying, Doc, I'm depressed or anxious, you know, the old traditional Western paradigm is 
every depression or anxiety patient gets put on the same medication. Mm -hmm. This is like, I see you now as a whole person. I'm going to do a 360 degree evaluation and get to the root cause of it Mm -hmm. and figure it out. And then some people, the inflammation may be due to hormones and other people due to nutritional deficiencies and other people, life circumstances, you're going through a job loss or a divorce. And we don't treat everybody with the same pill or with the same supplement. And that's what holistic health really is. Mm-hmm. So that certainly takes away the 10 minute doctor visit, huh? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, you, you can't, know, can't do that. Absolutely. In 10 <laughs> There's no such thing anymore. Yeah. My new patients, I, I still see patients part time in between speaking around the country and new patients spend 90 minutes with me in clinic as with my partners at the center of natural and integrative medicine and follow up patients are 30 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. When you so when you kind of made that shift to decide to include integrative medicine as a part of your career, um, was that at that time was it uh, shocking to your colleagues? How did people? Um, how did you make that transition career wise? <laughs> <laughs> was they like Romy got hit on the head? <laughs> she just never recovered. Just putting it <laughs> you know, Mubarak, I think what I've learned as an entrepreneur, and you probably know this too, there's a fine line between crazy and visionary, and that's perception. Mm. And I will say, most of the people out there thought I would, it, not only shocked, they thought I had gone insane. Literally, people <laughs> would be like, maybe you need to go see a psychiatrist. <laughs> like, you cannot give up your career as a neurologist. I'm like, oh, yes, I will. And watch me. <laughs> And it was scary. I'm not going to lie. Like any entrepreneur that's ever been on the line with you, there is that leap of faith you take. And sometimes you're like, oh, gosh, I'm falling down into that dark valley. What have I gotten myself into? But let me tell you, when you come out the other side, you are very clear why you took that leap. And that's exactly what it was. I I made that transition at a time where um, blogs like Mind Body Green weren't as popular as they are today. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, the Functional Medicine Institute didn't exist at the Cleveland Clinic. A lot of these organizations had been present, but they weren't getting the press they were. So I, I was kind of felt like I was out on the fringe. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was very frightening, but it felt so truthful that when I would stop and be present, very, very much to your saying of stop the doing and, you know, be a human being. Um, I knew I was in the right place and following the right path. Mm, excellent. So what are some of the, so what are some of the more common things that you, what's more common issues that people have that are required that can re can be treated through alternative medicines as opposed to, or I, I, let me rephrase that. What are some of the more common issues that people who are traditionally prescribed medication that can have alternative healing um, um, solutions to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, first of all, let's think about how we ask that question. You know, I'm not a fan of alternative healing or alternative medicine, that phrase, mm-hmm. because it makes it sound like you're not respecting traditional medical paradigms. You want an alternate, something different. Mm-hmm. Integrative medicine brings in both you know, the Eastern and the Western or the global healing tradition. You know, there is an important role in traditional medicine in diagnosing the right disease. And there are patients that will still need traditional lab work and and x-rays and even some medications. Where integrative medicine comes in really is when we look at 
one, the path to wellness, and two, people who have chronic disease. It's, the difference is how can we get to the root cause of it and help people do that? And so wh- what this isn't is saying, forget your prescription medicines. I'm going to give you some supplements or go do Reiki and yoga or go juicing. You'll be fine. That's not how this works. Mm, that's it's an important entire point. your system, like you said, that's based in mind body and spiritual body often it's you know core nutritional changes that are <clears throat> having to be made in the mind uh, you know my clients come to me and we work in mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and you know nutrition and uh, hormone panels and everything so for brain pause health, that as well as pause, the, pause the that for for a minute explain to us what is mindful-based cognitive therapy that's a big phrase that's not oh, clear yes yes <laughs> mindfulness so mindfulness is a term in modern day psychology that means be present. Mindfulness um, became, I think, very, it was the concepts originate in Eastern religions, Buddhism and Jainism, Hinduism, um, and a lot of the religions, but then it was modernized in psychological terms and, you know, really um, highlighted here in the United States. I think one of the first people who talked about it a lot was Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, and he combined his background in psychology with mindfulness to create something known as mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. It's just idea that is how can we take a situation or a problem you're in and help you using concepts based in mindfulness to move forward. Often traditional cognitive behavioral techniques that a psychologist will use will effectively psychoanalyze you and why you do your behaviors or where this stems from in your childhood but you know it sometimes can lack the techniques and how to help you move forward and that's where the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy is so helpful it's it's, you know i realize i'm stuck what are the tools that a trained professional can do to help you get unstuck and move forward Mm -hmm. so if you're just tuning in you're listening to wnhhlp 103.5 fm new haven's home for community radio I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, and this is Mornings with Mubaraka. We are also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org and the New Haven Independent Facebook Live page. You want to tune in to any of those to listen to our shows or find the former shows on fitmuslima.com. You can find our shows there. We are talking today with Dr. Romy Mushtaq, and we are talking about medicine and mindfulness. So, Dr. Mushtaq, tell me, um, tell us a little bit about, I know that you also focus a lot on breath work. And I think that people, I find that people really don't take that. I find it very powerful, but a lot of people don't take it seriously. It's like, I, I breathe all the time. I wouldn't be alive if I didn't breathe. Mm. How, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so, but people don't understand uh, the, the, the one, there is actually science behind it. So I'm like, I'm not a scientist, but I am obsessed with research and science and how it proves um, my life philosophy, which is exercise fixes everything, but also every other stuff too. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about how you got introduced to the power of breath work and how that yeah. actually affects us. So, you know, when we talk about mindfulness and being present, it, it, at its core, spiritually, it's how do I be present? You just breathe into this current moment and consciously breathe. Because you're right, you know, our heart rate, uh, we, we breathe, our digestive tract moves. These are all subconscious activities of the brain that we don't consciously think about 
until something is abnormal, like I can't breathe all of a sudden or you feel your heart racing. The interesting thing about breath is we can consciously control the rate we're breathing, the rate we're inhaling, the rate we're exhaling. And this is so powerful because what we know is when we are stressed out, when we're emotionally not engaged, there is this center in the brain, how fitting I'm in the airport, and I call it the airport traffic control center in the temporal lobe, our amygdala. And that is the control center to our emotions and our memories and our relay stations. And when we're under stress, it's as if all of our our runways and the body are shut down and you want free flowing functioning runways in your airport and the breath does that and that's modulated in scientific terms by something known as the autonomic nervous system and when we consciously breathe we are creating a relaxation so we're out of that sympathetic stress 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 mode and we're going into that parasympathetic relax mode and kind of slowly opening up the channels for that airport traffic control center. So when we're consciously breathing and science shows, just doing that for three minutes straight, deep inhales and exhales, and we'll do this in a couple seconds together, you start doing things with your autonomic nervous system like lowering your heart rate, lowering your blood pressure, emotionally calming down, helping digestion, reducing acidity so you're getting rid of the GERD. And you know, the list goes on and on, reducing muscle tension. And that's the foundation of meditation is starting with controlled breathing, that present-centered awareness. And that's why that's so present. It is one of the, the power of that pause and the power of that breath is one of the most powerful tools I teach uh, Fortune 500 company leaders and, and their teams to do in times of high stress to function and get through their day. Mm. And when, when, when you, how do you instruct somebody who is a type A personality that's constantly going, 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 and they're like, okay, I'm breathing, <laughs> right? How do, how do like we, someone like turn- me, basically. Yes, I've been there. How do we how do we turn that off and learn how to breathe properly? And is that a is that really a kind of like a just just do it, just focus on your breath? Or you know, well that that's really well said from a personal training point of view, and I'll be interested to see how this is very different than when you're um, coaching people and their exercise, how it's different. But the you know the controlled breathing to kind of get control of your own airport traffic control center in your brain is a deep inhalation and you want to expand your belly while you're breathing in. So it's like you're growing a bowling ball inside your belly. So deep breath in to the count of three, expanding the belly. You hold the breath and then you exhale deeply to the count of four or five. So the exhalation, bringing the spine down to the, and and the stomach together. There you go. That deep exhalation, pushing all the air out is longer than the inhalation. So inhale, count of three, Hold the breath and exhale to the count of five. And some people are like, I ran out of air at two. That's okay. Keep practicing. You know, and you do that and, and it's, you're literally, I call it blowing off steam. You're blowing off that excess CO2. And so you're causing a shift in your pH of your blood and causing your blood vessels to dilate and oxygen to get to the brain. And it causes this phenomenon of relaxing from your brain all the way down to the rest of your body. Mm-hmm. That 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 is really powerful, particularly for people who uh, they um, are constantly going. There's um so we have a, a natural food store here in in New Haven, edge of the woods, and they have on 
when you go to the register, they have like these little quotes on the screen. And it was a, one of the quotes that I constantly remind myself that says, if you don't have one minute to breathe, then you should breathe for an hour. <laughs> right. So, yes. you have to take and, and it sounds crazy and people who are busy roll their eyes. But, you know, Mark, I'll tell you is how I feel in control in days like this where I'm rushing around to meetings and flying and doing interviews and all of this is is stopping and literally it's, I spend longer meditating on a busy day so that I don't feel like the day or my schedule is controlling me, but mm-hmm. I'm in control of my brain and that way I can handle what's being thrown at me. Now you mentioned three minutes as a time span of how what happens physiologically to you. Is there any benefit to doing it, it a shorter time or a longer time? You know, typically when we want to disengage the brain from that heightened fight or flight response and that stress response, you want a minimum of three minutes of that deep breathing. And that's controlled breathing. That's different from a meditation practice. This is just settling you in to get ready to meditate. People are like, okay, Dr. Rami, I did my three minutes controlled breathing. I meditated. I'm like, no, 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 no. That was kind of like you saying you're going to turn off the light, you know, and unplug the refrigerator. And, and you know, if, if you're going to, you know, stop using electricity in the house, right? Mm-hmm. But you haven't quite gotten there yet. You still need to be in silence. And that's a great way to build up to a meditation practice. So part of our treatment modalities for brain and mental health, whether people have depression, anxiety, insomnia, coming in for adrenal fatigue, menopause, you name it, aside from, you know, medical therapy supplements is the importance of starting a meditation practice to bring down that stress response. And we build people up to 20 minutes of meditation a day. And 20 minutes a day in as short as four weeks can start rewiring your brain so that Mm -hmm. things that normally used to set you off or, you know, set your brain on fire or cause stress. Now you're more calm and cool and collected about things. Mm-hmm. And, and is that a, so 20 minutes is kind of like the goal, right? And, yeah, yeah. 20 and, minutes a day. And so this is, you don't, it's not, you don't have to, in order to d- create this rewiring, it's not about sitting down for three hours and meditating. It's just... 20 minutes. No, wouldn't that be lovely if we had three hours? I mean, it's a great thing to do. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend to try to do it on your first time, you know, otherwise people would be thinking Dr. Romy and Mubarak are absolutely crazy. Like, (laughs) why did, you know, why did I even think I could sit down for three hours? I mean, you know, when I get away from my retreats once a year um, at the ashram, I do typically in meditation and yoga for eight to 10 hours a day, but you build up to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my practice is typically 20 to 30 minutes a day. Um, like I said, when I'm having a busy day or I know I'm uh, already starting off the day emotionally stressed, I, I make time to sit down for longer. But that's who I am. For your listeners who may just be hearing this for the first time or they're like, gosh, I've been hearing about this meditation thing all the time. I see all the apps. 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And does it matter what time of day? Is it better to do it in the morning or to do it in the afternoon? And, I, you know, I, I realize that my my series of questions are really kind of like how I think about working out. Right. <laughs> These are questions people ask yeah. me about working yeah. out. Uh, is it better to do Absolutely. it in the morning or in the afternoon? I think it's different for everybody, Mubarka, because I really want to be mindful of how we live in the West. And so while I prescribe to Dr. Deepak Chopra's method, RPM, Rise, Pee, Meditate, I'm mindful that people who have small children 
you know, it's a battle every morning or it can feel like a battle every morning to get yourself ready for work, get your kids out of the house and on time to school and, you know, not let the house burn down while cooking breakfast. And so that means if you can wake up 20 minutes earlier to meditate and see if it can bring a little calm to the morning chaos, it's great. But for those people, I typically find they do it at night. Um, you know, so really I want to be mindful of what a person's schedule is. But ideally, it's the idea is if we sit and start with meditation first thing in the morning before we get the entire day going and our brain cells thinking about our to-do lists and emotions and all of that, we're more likely to just remain in the steady state rather than yo-yoing between highs and lows emotionally and with our memory all day long. That makes that does that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. When you let's talk a little bit about some of the other methods of healing. So in addition to breath work, you also work a lot with uh, nutrition and you said Reiki, correct? I'm sorry, no, I'm still getting no, over a cold, Mubarak. No problem. Yeah. No problem. Go ahead, keep chatting about raking what you do with raking. <laughs> yes. So I, I, so I want to talk a little bit about kind of like these other modalities of healing. Um, can you tell us a little bit of kind of like how you work with Reiki? One, what is it? And um, what kind of uh, um, conditions could it be useful for? Yeah, so, you know, you ask a great question about Reiki. And so Reiki, I've, I've worked with some traditional, it's a traditional Japanese healing that um, works with your energy fields. It's very similar in the yogic tradition to chakra healing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the science is still iffy on does it help. What we do know is having these treatments can help people to relax, very similar to a massage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, what, uh, and, and so to do that, it really is this idea that you're helping people to calm their senses down, your sight, your sound, the sense of touch. And, and so really, you know, to be fair and balanced, um, whenever we review, you know, these modalities of healing, I think there's still a lot more room, um, but the initial promising studies are really there in chronic pain patients, people who have pain after surgery. So do you see, um, um, do you see hospitals beginning to, do you think that they will be more open to kind of like offer these as... Oh integrative within yeah. hospitals mm-hmm. is, is that coming you know, to fruition Arizona yeah so you know Reiki and chakra balancing are very similar to healing touch therapy done by a lot of nurses here in the United States mm-hmm. and when I was in Arizona that was something that was taught to all nurses to help patients to calm down mm-hmm. etc I'm sorry you have, I'm about to have another cough attack <laughs> not a problem not a problem one of the interesting things um, that I find is, uh, of course, how nutrition fits in all of this. And you've mentioned your that you deal a lot with nutrition. Is that kind of like the base of where you start? Is, is that the base of where a lot of problems come from for people? Is getting their nutrition oh, in yeah. balance? You know, Mabarka, I try not to um, generalize for everybody. You know, what will happen is anybody that wants to see an integrative medicine doctor, functional medicine, naturopath, nutrition is going to be a key component. We can't continue to eat the, you know, traditional um, 
American Western diet that's high, you know, in refined sugars and fried foods, et cetera, saturated fats, and just think a supplement or a prescription pill is going to help. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the obvious thing, right? But what I really want to do is we have clients that come to us that are doing spectacularly on a vegan diet, vegetarian, they're paleo, they've done the whole 30 and they're still having problems. So while nutrition is a key element, it can't fix everything. You know, we need to still look and correct if there's a hormone imbalance, if there is a disease process that needs a traditional medication. It's, you know, however, monitoring nutrition will help to bring down inflammation and play a key role. And, And, you know, in some diseases, it's, it's more obvious, like, you know, you're diabetic, you need to control the sugar levels, for instance, we know that, you know, Um, and losing weight and reduces cardiovascular risk factors or the role of food and autoimmune disease, um, you know, can stop triggering that. But it doesn't mean that there's not also a need and a role for medications, other supplements, other paradigms, it's it's bringing everything together. Mm -hmm. As as you talk to patients if a patient so let's talk a little bit about inflammation because you've also mentioned that a couple of times what Mm -hmm. is when you talk when you mention inflammation as an issue for people what are some of the symptoms that people have excessive inflammation and like what what problems does do they actually cause in a body yeah and so you know inflammation is is seems to be this buzzword, but it's not really there. I think people in integrative functional medicine have been talking about this for decades, and it's now considered a mainstay. And traditional medicine, too, is it's the foundation of what causes so many diseases. And so, you know, we now know that inflammation causes everything from depression to cancer to Alzheimer's disease to chronic lung disease, autoimmune disease like lupus and Jogren's, um, rheumatoid arthritis. So, you know, it, it covers the entire gut from mood and joint and this. And so symptoms that people often have, they're, you know, having signs of inflammation if they're not already diagnosed with one of these diseases can be um, symptoms around hormonal imbalance, difficulties losing weight, going into menopause-like symptoms early, low testosterone, low libido early, mood issues. Um, feeling like you're in a brain fog or your memory is just not as good as it used to be. It must be because you're older. Those are often signs of inflammation. So, so what is inflammation? So I guess that's mm-hmm. the, the... Yeah. So what technically so is... We were talking... Yeah, technically what happens in inflammation is that the body is out of balance and becomes inflamed. So remember I was using that example earlier, the amygdala in your brain is the airport traffic control center. And mm-hmm. when that gets triggered into a stress response it increases all these hormones in the brain and in the rest of the body, like cortisol and adrenaline and insulin. And these disrupt the balance of your hormones and your blood sugar levels and nutrient levels in the body and all sorts of chemicals that help to keep your heart rate stable, your weight stable, your mood stable, your digestion stable. And then, you know, depending on where the inflammation is in your body or what the disease is, people will have symptoms related to that. So like an inflammation in your immune system will lead to things like lupus or um, Graves' thyroid disease or inflammation in the blood vessels around your heart can lead to having a heart attack early or inflammation or imbalance in hormones can lead to adrenal fatigue or women having like, they feel like they're having menopause symptoms and they're only in their 30s or 40s. So, so it actually, uh, it's, so besides it being a buzzword, it actually can be the source of 
that illness. And we talked about yeah. we talked about earlier that uh, mindfulness actually reduces inflama- inflammation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mindfulness-based meditation reduces these markers of inflammation starting in the brain. And so when we calm that brain center down for 20 minutes, then we're rewiring its connections to the rest of the body. And that's what brings those markers of inflammation down. Mm-hmm. And, and besides mindfulness, what are some of the other things that, that can be used that will be helpful in bringing inflammation down? Are there other healing ways? Yes. So let me tell you the first thing most integrative practices do is, you know, and we joke, you know, in our office is sleep is critical, is restoring sleep is key to bringing inflammation down. So if we had to start in one place is getting people back to sleep. The second thing is restoring gut health. And so, you know, with the gut by um, having enough water, taking away inflammatory foods and liquids. So, you know, typically getting rid of the white sugar and white flour and inflammatory foods and healing the gut and adding probiotics back in. Those are typically the first step is with the gut and with sleep um, can be. And, you know, as you know, exercise helps to reduce inflammation. But when people are sick and in the throes of an acute disease process, we typically start first with the sleep and then with the gut. Mm, Okay. So we have about five, uh, about eight minutes left to the show. And so I want to really, um, I want you to talk to, first let me remind people that they are listen that you're listening to 103.5 FM, uh, WNHHLP in New Haven, Connecticut, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org and New Haven Independent Facebook page. We are talking to Dr. Romy Moshak. Um, about mindfulness and the science behind it. When we talk about when you men- when you mention how it rewires the brain, explain that a little better. Like how how do we explain to people that you're rewiring your bl- brain? What does that mean? It's, it it seems almost too good to be true because when in early on in medical school and scientists thought you know back in the 1980s as I said your brain was stuck the way it was going to be after about age five. And that's not true at all. Our brain is constantly changing in its structure and our function. And if there is one thing, you know, I want to do is it's to protect my brain and help it to grow and improve in new ways. So, you know, the example is this, if no matter what age you are, if you take up a new activity like dance lessons or learn a new foreign language, you're training your brain for a new skill and that's improving your memory cells. Well, the interesting thing we find, and that's this concept known as neuroplasticity. So when we reduce inflammation and bring balance to the brain and then train the brain to do something new, it helps the brain to become stronger in its function and how it's structured. And the one thing we've seen time and time again with meditation is that with a uh, four to six weeks, you know, at minimum meditation practice, you start to grow cells in the memory centers of your brain. That actually means you're improving your memory mm-hmm. by meditating. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's even if you're like, oh, my God, Mubarak, I was sitting there and I was meditating and I tried for 20 minutes, but my mind was going all over the place. That's okay. That gets better with time. Keep going. Mm-hmm. So not only what that's what it means or that now the way the brain would maybe easily get frazzled and turn into a really anxious state. Mm-hmm. It stops getting anxious and it actually starts being really productive and analytical. So so this can be particularly helpful for people with anxiety. 
Oh, absolutely. I, you know, like I said, our meditation practices are cornerstone for clients that come in that have difficulty sleeping, known as insomnia, who have different forms of anxiety, depression, headaches, pain. Uh, I, I'm just so stressed out. I hate my life. Like all these emotional and mental brain health symptoms, meditation is a key cornerstone in helping to treat these clients. Mm -hmm. So before we are, before we have to let you go, I want to know a little bit about your forthcoming book. So you have oh, a book you. coming out. T yes, we're tell me writing that this idea that in brain uh, in our brain health community we've gotten it wrong when it comes to anxiety and ADHD and insomnia they're not three different diseases but all on one spectrum of inflammation mm. and that the medicines we give to people during the day when they're anxious or have ADHD will make insomnia worse and when your insomnia is bad that'll make your anxiety and ADHD worse and I call that the busy brain and you can't shut it down so I am using my own story, story of a company who I put through digital detox. Do you have a busy brain that you can't shut your thoughts off before you go to bed at night? You wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep or you feel like you can't focus during the day and you're on edge all the time and you know that there's a better way to perform at work and you want to sleep peacefully and control your mood. We're going to get down to that nitty gritty of what kind of foods does your brain need? What is the role of meditation? And what are some labs that probably most doctors missed checking that could change everything? Wow. And shift from being on prescription medications for sleep and anxiety to treating it holistically. That is the busy brain cure. Oh, my goodness. I cannot wait. So when is this book coming out? I will let you know. You, I will come back on the radio, and I will not be sitting in an airport coughing and hacking up along. I will let you know, but it is targeted release probably first quarter next year. So okay, I am so that is that is right up my alley. I am excited, so I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to get you on the show when the book comes out. I'm going to order it so that I can read it and we can talk about that. That would be awesome. We will that's send really it to fast. you. Yes. And that's thank you really for all that you do in the world of spreading a message of love and, and, and self-empowerment through exercise and, and diversity. I just, it has been an honor talking with you this past hour. This has been the call I've been looking forward to in the new year. And I'm so glad we got to make this happen. And awesome. To meet all of your listeners, Mubarka. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so I was so excited to finally get you booked and on the show because I was looking forward to speaking to you. This has been really enlightening. This is one of the reasons why I do this show, because I have to tell you, it's not completely altruistic. I just love learning <laughs> and I've learned it, a lot today. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad you learned. And so really, the moral of the story is people are listening, going, OK, now what do I do? I, I just want you to incorporate that simple three-minute controlled breathing technique Mubarak and I talked about earlier in the show. If you could just start with that, and even if you're like, Dr. Romy, I ain't ready to meditate yet, it's okay. Just <laughs> sit down in that controlled breathing three minutes every day and just remember you are in control of your own brain and in your own health. Absolutely. That is absolutely true, and thank you for that. Um, if you want to follow or get in touch with Dr. Romy, she has a site, brainbodybeauty.com, and all of her information and her blog. She has a very informative blog that has lots of information. So 
definitely go there if you're looking to get in touch to find out, you know, anything about her. Lots of information on her site is about her speaking, coaching, her blog is just information among information in itself. <laughs> um, so do you have one thing that you would like to leave our listeners with? What is the yeah, last reminder? We feel like in this in the world as we turned into the new year and we're coming off of a full moon and chaos everywhere in the world is know that there is a place that resides within you that is calm and connect to that calm place daily. And that's where that source of inspiration for yourself and your life path resides. And for me, I found that through meditation. And I, I certainly hope all of you will give meditation a chance too. Thank you so much. If you are listening, you have been listening to Mornings with Mubaraka on 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio, WNHHLP on newhavenindependent.org. And I leave you today with the reminder that I leave you every week. Go into your week to be a voice and not an echo.